The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. So over the last few years, there's been a massive acceleration in the trend of people leaving mainstream jobs to start their own businesses from freelancing to private practices, portfolio careers, and more, largely in the name of what they would tell you is freedom. But many are also finding they're giving up something really big that they didn't see coming along the way, a sense of community and camaraderie and belonging. And it may even lead to increasing levels of social isolation or even loneliness. So if you've ever worked in a corporate role with any team, you'll be familiar with how your relationship and professional relationships are built into that environment. And often we don't need to deliberately seek community because it's already just all around us, which is why maintaining professional relationships or building new ones, it can be an unanticipated challenge in the move to go and do your own thing. So in today's Spark Hot Take episode, we dig deeper into this theme that is super prevalent in today's world of work. We're welcoming a new expert guide, Joy Bacha, to dive deep into how to create community and belonging when we're braving our own path and building a solo career. Joy is the founder of Courts Consulting, a newly published author and the head of Legal at Syndicate Protocol. Joy has had a fascinating portfolio career. She actually graduated from Harvard Law School and Harvard Business School with a JD MBA. But then only a few weeks after graduation, she visited family in India and an interesting twist unfolded, landing her a Bollywood acting contract. And while acting, she started a freelance consulting firm to really help stay afloat. And freelancing, it gave her the flexibility to explore multiple passions. Since then, Joy's consulting firm has advised startups, venture capital firms, and Fortune 500 companies. And when she's not at Syndicate Protocol, she spends her free time freelancing in the arts. Joy is just, she's fascinated by how millions of people are using freelancing to support both their corporate and creative sides, and has turned this passion into her first book, The Freelance Mindset, Unleashing Your Side Hustles for Better Work, Play, and Life. With this multi-passionate lens, Joy is perfectly placed to share insights on how to create community when you're navigating the freelance world and how to cultivate a sense of belonging when it is just no longer built in by default as it may have been in a traditional job. In this first part of our conversation, Joy shares a concept she calls portfolios of community and levels of connection and how that can help us to understand where and how to cultivate community as a freelancer. She encourages us to really examine what style of community experience works best for each of us and also warns us of the pitfalls of comparing nine to five community versus freelance community and why instead we should embrace the customizable nature of freelance community building. As always, we hope you enjoy this Spark Hot Take on what it means to find a sense of belonging when you go out on your own or what to expect if that's something you're considering. And be sure to follow Spark wherever you're listening so you don't miss part two of this conversation as well, where we dive into specific strategies and tactics 
to go out and build your own powerfully aligned professional community. So excited to share this with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spark. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. All right, let's dive in. So today we have a very special and unique conversation or set of conversations that we will be bringing to our fabulous sports community. So we have been mixing in, as our regular listeners know, not just listener questions, but also bringing in some awesome human beings who happen to have expertise in very specific topics that are so of the moment. And I'm super excited to have with us today, Joey Bacha, who is the author of The Freelance Mindset, and also has had this pretty interesting journey from big finance, places like Goldman, some of the biggest names in that world, somehow weaving in Bollywood acting at the same time, and now has also been running her own consultancy for a number of years, often actually turning around and consulting some of those same types of companies that she would have been working with for really big organizations, but now on her own. So she's got really tremendous insight on what we're talking about when we're talking about freelancing. So Joy, so good to be able to dive into these topics with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to go into these with you. Awesome. So what we want to do actually is we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into two specific topics. So we're going to tee up the first one today. And then this is going to be a bit of a two-parter for our listeners. So be sure to tune in again for part two of this, because we're going to tee up another question that I think so many of us have. The question we really want to dive into today is how do we create community when we're working solo? So before we get into some of the big ideas and issues here and some of your insights, you made this transition personally. And you also, you know, it's interesting the way that you sort of created a bit of a portfolio, you know, where you're you're not just doing one thing. There are a couple of different things, like different scripts, different devotions running simultaneously. Tell me a little bit about your own personal experience. 
My own journey to freelancing and my own personal experience of creating a portfolio has taken nobody by surprise more so than myself. <laughs> I had you know, started my career on a very linear path, as you mentioned, in finance. Uh, and then I went to law school. I went to business school at some of the top universities. And I really thought I was going on a linear path when I came out of school and I had planned to go to a corporate law firm. But in the back of my mind, there was this feeling of, you know, is this the right move for me? Is there something else I should be exploring? And an opportunity presented itself uh, for me to explore acting in India, which was kind of a pipe dream that I had had uh, secretly, which I told nobody about. And when I got that opportunity, I just had to leap on it. And having leapt on it with six-figure debt... I then had to figure out, okay, we need more than just acting in order to make a living. And that's when the portfolio started to enter into my life. Uh, and I started to pitch companies for a solo freelance consultant on some of their projects. And little by little, I managed to kind of cobble together a bit of a living that let me, you know, spend my mornings editing uh, Excel spreadsheets or making PowerPoint presentations. And then in the afternoon, I would, you know, change costume, put on uh, Indian dress, put on a full face of makeup, and then go for some auditions and really feel energized that I was using both sides of my brain at the same time, while also working on things that I found like phenomenally interesting. I love that. And I I think one of the myths of sort of like making the transition to freelance is that you're going to be doing the same thing, but you get to choose your clients. So you have a certain amount of freedom. But what, what I think a lot of people don't necessarily talk about is the notion that, well, yes, and there also may be other things that you love to do, you know, so you get to actually mix and match. So it's not just about, hey, I'm going to do a similar thing, but under my control with my clients and I get, you know, to, to choose who I say yes to. But also I get to mix in other things. So maybe I'm actually doing this one thing that's going to take care of me and give me security and safety and income for a chunk of my time. But then maybe there's another day a week that there's this other thing that maybe it'll never actually contribute meaningfully to you know, like my bottom line, but it just fills me up so much that I'm absolutely thrilled to like, you know, to bring that into the mix and to allocate the time to do that. And I think that's a conversation that a lot of folks don't really explore fully. That is so true. We really get the power to choose what we want to do when we freelance. And that may mean you want to dive deeper into your area of specialty. And that might mean growing your business and having bigger clients and a larger revenue base. But it may also mean exactly like you said, that there are things that don't bring in as much or even any monetary value, but they fill you up in a way that is so meaningful. And the research shows that actually that had significant value. Uh, it adds way more value than people expect. I think traditional employers have a fear of side hustles because they think, oh, if my employee is working on something outside of work, they're going to be distracted and they're not going to bring their full focus into work. But actually the data show that when people have a side hustle, they get filled up with energy and they come back even stronger to work on Monday morning because of whatever they did over the weekend that felt kind of authentic and engaging and meaningful to them on a deeper level. Yeah, I love that. A chunk of years back, I remember reading a book called Daily Rituals. I don't know if you've ever read this book, but it basically lays out 24 hours in the life of so many of people that we know as household names in science, in industry, in art, in writing. And it sort of like looks at how they allocate their time throughout the day. And I remember being surprised by the fact that some of the greatest writers, some of the most iconic painters, people like this, they actually did it on the side. They had a traditional nine to five and they had a family and they never had any intention of leaving that. 
you know, it was fairly innocuous. It didn't take a lot out of them. And it took, it made sure that the family felt taken care of. And that gave them the freedom to then go and do this thing in the evenings and on the weekends where they could really get creative and follow their own muse and not have to worry in any way, shape or form about the quote, commercial viability of it. And that ended up producing work that has, you know, like sustained for generations. So I love the notion of just like bringing it all together. Yeah, absolutely. I think Jane Eyre was actually written in a similar way. Uh, oh, the I author, <laughs> yeah, she she didn't have a day job. I think she was actually not encouraged by her society to write. So she would sit in the drawing room and pretend to be doing needlepoint, but secretly <laughs> she was scribbling the story on pieces of napkin and hiding it when anybody walked into the room. Oh, that's amazing. I love that story. So one of the things that often happens when we make this this decision to actually you know, like slide out of a, a mainstream job let's say we're not just doing it on the side, but we're like, okay, we're all in on this. I'm going to freelance. I'm going to create my own thing. Especially if you've spent some time in the workforce where you're you know, like in somebody else's culture, where you're surrounded by people, you're surrounded by process, you're surrounded by support. And often those people are not just your professional peers, but the line starts to blur. They become your personal friends. And when we step away from that, one of the biggest things that I think so many people feel is that we're not just stepping away from the job or the company, we're stepping away from a sense of community. And this is something that I know you've explored. So take me into sort of like your early thoughts on this. This is such a critical question for freelancers because freelancers are often drawn by the freedom of creating their own career, but that freedom comes at a cost. We really need to, uh, own the fact that we, by working for ourselves and without an entire team, we have to then create our community from the ground up. There isn't one that we can naturally just plug and play into. And that can be so critical. Um, one of the things that you've said earlier that resonated with me, I think this was in your episode with Chris Gilkey about creating a team of belonging, is that if you think about Maslow's hierarchy like a diamond, you said that actually belonging would go right in the center of that diamond. It's such a core need uh, that all of our lives kind of orient around this. So when I was exploring this question in my book, I interviewed 50 freelancers and people ranged in occupation from baristas to acrobats to accountants, engineers, robot designers, you name it. We had the full gamut. But this question kept coming up over and over again. We're all struggling with how do we find the community that feels right to us and supports us while we're working solo? And what I discovered from that was really that we have an opportunity as freelancers to create a community around our center and build outwards. So what I mean by that is start at the most specific tasks you're doing in a day, whether that's um, a project for a client, trying to get deeper into the nuance of that task by integrating yourself into the client's team can be a really powerful way of building community. But then you can build outward from that. You can look uh, at your industry, at your work type. So you might be an accountant, you might be a freelancer. Each one of those little bubbles of identity will also have their own kind of communities that you can plug into. And then finally, what we can see going even further out is you can build community around how you spend the hours in your day. So that might mean you wake up and have a nice cup of coffee. Maybe there are coffee enthusiasts you can connect with. Maybe there are you know, activities at the gym or exercise routines that you're really passionate about that you can find connection around. So we have many, many bubbles as freelancers that we can kind of dive into and build community. But where the real opportunity lies is at the intersection of those bubbles, mm. because we live in between all of those identities at once. And um, 
Creating an identity and creating a community around each of those is a critical challenge for freelancers who are still learning how to present what they do to the world in the absence of a job title, in the absence of knowing what organization they plug into. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Because you're sort of thrust into this moment and you thrust yourself into it very often. Um, although it's not entirely true. Like sometimes like it is the layoff that becomes the inciting incident where it's been in the back of your mind for a long time. And you're like, you know what? Instead of just looking for the next job, let me just take this window, especially if you have any kind of nice package and you have a bit of a runway there. But what you're saying is so interesting. Like You're simultaneously grappling with really reconstructing a new sense of identity at the same time that you're grappling with the loss of community potentially on all these different levels. I, I, w- I want to go back into those three different levels that you talked about, because I think it's important to really just sort of tease that out. The first one was understanding or, or looking for, let's say you have client work and maybe you're installed with the client in some way, shape or form. You spend a lot of time with them. Well, chances are you're probably not just working with one person. You may be working with a whole group of people or a team or a division or something like that. So you're saying one of the things to start to explore is, can I find a sense of belonging of community within that group of people? Um, Which is interesting because to me, that wouldn't be intuitively the first place I would look for it. In fact, I would almost feel like there needs to be a certain professional boundary, you know, where I almost want to keep people at a bit of an arm's length because as any consultant knows or coach knows, or at some point, if you're with a client long enough, you are going to have a hard conversation and you need to have that sort of that sense of distance and objectivity that will allow you to basically say, hey, things are either going off the rails or they didn't work out as we planned or they come to you and say like the outcome isn't quite what we wanted. And if you're looking for a sense of community within the existing community of a client, it seems to me on the one hand, it's an interesting thing to do, but there are also probably risks there. Absolutely. And it's very similar to, you know, the alternative that freelancers face, which is trying to find a sense of community within the context of a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Even in a full-time job, if you stay there long enough, there will be difficult conversations. There are needs for boundaries. And so freelancers who have come from a traditional work experience are really well-versed in maintaining those boundaries and knowing approximately how much community really to expect from your coworkers. While your coworkers, you know, you may not share every detail of what you're doing in your personal life, those are still people that you're on a team with and you are driving toward the same goal and you have the same highs and lows because you have the same definition of success when it comes to that project in general. But I think it's really important to kind of tease this out even further as you were doing and really step back and try to understand what do we mean by community? Because there is this instinct to say, I need community. And therefore, I think of community as my soul tribe, my BFFs who know everything about me. And, you know, we're just completely aligned. And yes, that is one type of community that we need. But if we have portfolio careers, as many freelancers do, we also need portfolios of community. And what that means is we need both those really strong, tight ties, and then we also need the weaker ties, the people that we have boundaries with, that we know from a distance, but who we still interact with in general. 
And uh, what comes to mind when I'm talking about this is that landmark study by Mark Granovetter about the strength of weak ties. And he had found back in 1973 that weak ties are really the source of most people's career opportunities and job offers. They get higher pay from these weak ties. And these weak ties are people that we don't know very well, but they are still part of our community. What I was surprised by is, yes, the study was done in 1973, but just in the last couple of years, the study was repeated with 20 million users on LinkedIn, and they found that it's just as true today. The vast majority of us mm. get better job offers, get more work from these weak ties, people we don't know well, including social media connections. And so for freelancers thinking about building community, it's absolutely critical that you have a balance between those really strong, tight ties and then looser, weaker ones that can fill different needs in our experience overall. Yeah, I love that distinction. I'm so glad you made it. And I'm a little blown away that, you know, 50 years later, that research was repeated and was essentially still as valid as it was because the world has changed so profoundly, especially in the way that we connect. But I guess, it, you know, as human beings, we haven't changed. You know, we still have the same fundamental needs. So in a, in a, in a way, it also makes a lot of sense. So the other two sort of like levels or like circles that you were referencing, the the, the second one was... What about people who are out there sort of like um, doing similar things or associations with people like you that you join? You know, if you're an accountant, uh, local accounting organizations or groups or or just, a, you know, like a local club of accountants that happen to get together and like commiserate over all the same stuff. And that to me is something where I see that as something that can be richer and deeper and and more sustaining because that's the type of thing that is not tied to a particular engagement or gig. And you can just keep deepening into that potentially over years or decades. And then the the last one that you referenced is, well, let's actually expand even more. Let's just look at life. You know, part of the joy of freelancing is that we get to actually have, potentially we build our lives so that we can find community in Bollywood dancing or acting and, you know, woodworking and knitting and all the different things that just make us um, tick and click. And that when we think about community, it sounds like the invitation is really when we step away and we're forming our new identity and we feel the sense of isolation and loss and we, we realize we stepped away from a work community, a professional community, that part of the solution is not just to look to rebuild that but think more broadly about all the different ways that we might step into relationship and community and belonging and weave as much as you can in different contexts into sort of to create a whole that feels maybe better, you know, bigger than the, the, the parts. Uh, I think it's absolutely critical for freelancers to really reflect on what that whole is and the specific need that community is filling in their lives. Your explanation just now reminded me of a person I had interviewed who was laid off from his job in digital marketing. And he was kind of uh, early 50s or so, lived alone. He was never married, no kids. And he was freelancing and he you know, had the good fortune to be able to find clients relatively quickly. But Days would pass and he wouldn't see a human being in person. And many freelancers will have this kind of wake up call of, wow, you know, 70% of my freelance career is working for me, but there are little things that little tweaks that I need to make that will make me feel more effective, that will help me feel more plugged into the community. And so for this gentleman, really taking that inventory of his day and realizing when does his energy dip? When does he feel lonely? Uh, you know, he found that for him, it was really in the afternoons. And so he made a plan from then on that every afternoon he would meet a friend for lunch. 
and he found that he comes back recharged. And it's a small uh, manifestation of community. It's not a big group that he's dropped into, but it's that same feeling of connection that community can bring to us that was missing from his day to day. Yeah, I love that. The other thing that comes to my mind when I'm thinking about this topic, you know, like how do we create community when we're working solo, um, especially when we've transitioned from something big is, you know, the fundamental nature of work has changed dramatically over the last two to three years. And and one of the big ways is virtual versus in-person. So when I, th- I feel like when we talk about the notion of community, we also probably need to talk about the distinction between building community where you're actually gathering with people in real life face to face versus, um, you know, like virtually or in the digital domain or some blend of those. Do you have a take on sort of um, how those weave into the exploration of rebuilding community? I think some of the questions that freelancers can ask themselves is what kind of experience of community feels best to them? So for me, you know, pre-pandemic, I would always be freelancing from a coffee shop or someplace where people were around, but not necessarily interacting with me directly because I wasn't in an office. And that was something that I really missed when everything went virtual. So I found that I needed to go and do virtual co-working and just have somebody on the screen, even if we're not talking about what we're working on, uh, just knowing that somebody is working near me made me feel 10x more productive. That's one question that people can ask themselves. Another question is really around what am I doing and how do I want to share that with people? And the person who comes to mind for me is a a wonderful woman that I interviewed who is a professional dancer, and she's also a design consultant for tech startups. And she adores both of those things, but for her, it's been very challenging to find a sense of community because Nobody in the dance world really understood what the problems she was solving in the tech world were and vice versa. It was really challenging for tech people to know what a dance audition was like and to understand what a performance really felt like. So for her, you know, going remote has been this massive opportunity. She actually created a startup out of it called Artswork. And the reason it's an opportunity is because people doing similar things have been kind of spread out and couldn't find each other before. Uh, they might live in different cities. They might be kind of very much in their own bubble and not interacting with people from different social groups. But now with a community like the one she's created, they can come on and say, hi, I'm a dancer. I'm also a consultant. I have these different hyphens. And they can post questions that they have. They can kind of share uh, ideas and challenges. And being able to go remote has helped people find communities that are much more customized to niche interests than existed before. Of course, it doesn't have the same feeling of hanging out in a group. But, you know, I think people have been starting to create hybrid events. And as the world has opened up, people are finding ways to bring these disparate groups together. Uh, But the pandemic gave us a really great opportunity to balance both the in-person interaction and, you know, finding those core people, but also reaching over distance and uh, connecting over niche interests that might be harder to find in your town. Yeah, I I so agree with that. I I was um very resistant for years, sort of um, diminished the value of virtual. And and in fairness, I also think the platforms have become way better by the, the fact that they had to over the last three years to accommodate just massive demand and people. I you know at scale, people have have really quickly learned that they actually had to learn how to be okay on these platforms and feel like it's native and comfortable to them and it feels safe and open 
in a way that three years ago, they just didn't. And my guess is it would have taken a lot longer had the last three years not unfolded. But now, sort of like everybody, I think, just feels much more at ease and more natural and um, and the platforms are better and it does satisfy for that um, so much more effectively. So I agree. I, it's, it's exciting to me to see how we can sort of like mix and match and weave it all together in ways that not too long ago wouldn't have been possible. And I feel like it also flattens the world, you know? So now it's like you can build that community around an interest or a passion or devotion and you can have a dozen people in there who are literally distributed all over the world where if you tried to do that in person, maybe there's one or two people who share that same thing in your local community. So um, I love sort of like your invitation to say like, let's actually consider it all. Any final thoughts before we wrap on this topic of creating community when we decide to go out on our own? Creating community for freelancers is one of the biggest challenges, but also one of the greatest opportunities that freelancers have. Because when you are working in a traditional nine to five alternative world, your communities are sort of created for you. You're dropped into, I'm part of this organization. I'm part of this team. I solve X problem for Y manager. But when you're a freelancer, you're really choosing what problems you solve, which industries, which areas you're focused on and which identities you bring to the professional world. And what that does is create this tremendous opportunity for you to create community around the things that matter most to you, whether that's specific areas of work, whether that's the intersection of different identities, whether that's you know a very niche focus, and the entire world is available to you. It may not look like the community that you've had in the past, and I think one of the biggest pitfalls is trying to compare it to a nine to five community when, you know, the reality is the community of a freelancer can be very different. It can be part remote. It can be hybrid. But what it offers is completely unparalleled because it's completely customized to your life. Mm, I love that. It's a great way for us to wrap up. Joy, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights, everyone listening in. It's always a pleasure to be able to share ideas and touch into things that so many of us are considering and grappling with right now. And as I mentioned earlier in this episode, we are going to be back talking about a second topic that I think is on the mind of so many people who have actually maybe made the move to start their own thing or maybe taken a bit of a pause or stepped out of the workforce. And now they're wondering, should I return to a traditional nine to five job? And we're even going to talk about what nine to five means these days, whether it's a myth or not. So be sure to follow along and tune in for our part two, where we dive into that second awesome question. Joy, thanks so much. Take care, everybody. Thank you for having me. Hey, in a few weeks, we are going to have Joy back for part two of this conversation where we deepen into the whole notion of creating community for yourself. When you're moving into the world of freelance or working for yourself, building your own gig or career. So be sure to follow Spark Podcast so you don't miss that powerful and very strategic and tactical part two of this conversation coming up in just a few weeks. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life. Take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at sparkotype.com. 
It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.